Good morning. So this is the crowd that was left behind while everybody else got out of town for the last week, huh? Well, good morning. I'm Jr. one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to be able to be here this morning and share with you part four in a series on Can You Hear Me Now? And over the last several weeks, we've been studying the book of Jeremiah, and we've been focusing specifically on the call of God on each and every one of our lives. We believe that you can live life without discovering God's call in your life. In fact, you can probably even experience happiness and, and some joy, but we don't believe that you can really have a full life and a complete life without really discovering God's call on your life. The first week, Kent preached on God is in control, and we take great comfort in that, knowing that oftentimes there are things that take place in life that are beyond our control and we don't understand, and there's rest and understanding the truth that God is sovereign, that He's in control. Then I preached on the fact that help is on the way, that God is the God who exists in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously, so He knows what you're going to face an hour from now, He knows what tomorrow holds for you, and that no matter what, everybody say no matter what, God's got your back, He has your best interest at heart, and help is on the way. And last week, Pastor Kent preached on God is already working. And uh, those of us who have lived long enough to know now that we've had situations in our lives that when we got to an end and we experienced the blessings of God, whether it was in our lives and the lives of others, when we looked back at the process, we were aware that God was actively engaging and working in areas and with people that we weren't even aware of till we got to the end of the course. And this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided for all of you and the chair immediately in front of you. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, is, this guy had a tough life. He had a tough call. This is a young man who's called to come before a nation who is really apostate. They've rebelled. They've rejected God's way. They've rejected God's word. And the call for Jeremiah is to come to the people of God, to come to the southern kingdom called Judah, and tell these people that if they don't repent, that God's going to use their enemies to come in and judge them, overtake them, and carry them into exile. Now, how many of you would like to tell your neighbor that? I mean, that was the call that was placed upon this young man's life. And when you understand the gravity of the situation, it's hard to find good news in that. But everybody say good news. The good news is found in this text. So follow along with me in Jeremiah chapter 18. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And I'm reading through the New Living Translation. So it may be a little different from some of the translations that you're holding in your hands. The Bible says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah, or the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay and started all over again. The Lord gave me this message. He said, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but 
Then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me. I will not bless it as I said I would. Therefore Jeremiah said, Go and warn all of Judah and Jerusalem and say to them, This is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good, so turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. How many of you would like to have given that message? Oh, my goodness. I would feel like my job was on the line if I came in here and told you guys that. But the truth of the matter is, is how do we... How do we wrestle with the ebb and flow of God's calling in our lives when we recognize our personal inabilities and our shortcomings to fulfill the things that God has really asked us to do? And then when we really get honest about it, when we really begin to deal with the personal sins that are in our lives and we recognize that there's no way that we're qualified for any of these things that God's asked us to do. And then we experience God's grace and there's, there's this ebb and flow and we recognize that it's not about us. We recognize that it's not just about our gifts. We recognize that it's really not about our talents. It's about God's anointing in our life and His equipping and empowering because He lives within us. And then we do good for a while and then we kind of begin to stray again and it's this ebb and flow. At least that's the way I experience it in my life. I could be wrong about this, but I suspect that there are very few of us here this morning who've not been guilty of making wrong choices at some time or another in life. And we've probably, if the truth was really known, made some decisions based on, well, let's just say, less than honorable choices. Anybody out there guilty besides me? And now I'm going to go so far as to say, in fact, I'm going to imply that each of us here this morning are not only guilty of all the above, but I think there are probably areas in our lives where we've done so with a self-centered pride out of a, well, let's just say, just right spirit of rebellion. You ever known somebody when you tried to correct them, they were the personality type where they just dug their heels in all the more deeper and just did the exact opposite just because they could? Is there any of that in some of us here this morning? I'm married to a woman like that. She's not here. I can say that this morning. (laughs) You know, the Bible teaches us that each of us have turned to our own ways. And what I really believe that that means is that each of us have turned from the leading, the leading and the call of God to do life on our own terms at some time or in some ways. And it's probably different for every one of us in this room, even though there may be similarities that overlap one and the other. Maybe we've done things that we know God didn't want us to do. Maybe we've participated in conversations that we shouldn't have and said things that we know should have never been said. Maybe we've gone places and taken jobs and joined teams that we probably shouldn't have because... That's really not what God wanted us to do, but we were asked. And rather than following the call of God in our life, we followed the invitations of others where we were needed. And there's a distinction that needs to be made between being needed and being called. And I believe that every time we seek to do life on our own terms, especially when we're aware of the high calling that God has placed on our lives in Christ, I think these decisions serve as self-interests rather than God's call. And they affect us in some ways and mar us, scarring us with scratches and dents from the effects of sin. 
After Stuart shared his illustration this morning in the scratch and dented section, I stepped up to Alan and I said, when you walk up there, just give the benediction because he's already concluded the whole message. (laughs) Truth of the matter is, is I was one of those pieces on the scratch and dented shelf that was discounted, undervalued, and in the eyes of some unwanted. And it was the love and the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ that reached out to me. Or I wouldn't be where I am now. And life has taught me that sometimes when a person serves the selfish interests in their life, willingly, above the call that God has placed on their life, their choice to serve leads them to a path where the scratches and dents take them from the activities of life and place them on the scratch and dented section where they feel flawed and broken and undervalued and even sometimes unwanted. They're deceived. Sin can so affect us and mar us that we we become deceived, really believing that we have no value, not only to ourselves, not only to others, but even to God. And sometimes people buy into this lie that they've gone too far, that there's no turning back, that the die is cast, and, well, just to heck with it. I'm just going to live like this anyway. But the good news, everybody say good news. The good news is this. God always extends an open invitation for you to return home. You know, people often come to the conclusion that all the energy that they spent in trying to be someone that they're not has really brought them to a place where they're really faced with two choices in life, and these are life-changing choices. One is, well, heck with it. I'm scratched and dented. The lot is cast, and it doesn't make any difference anymore. God won't even use me. Or the second choice is this. We surrender to the hands of the masterful potter who holds our lives as a potter holds a lump of clay turning on the wheels of life. And we surrender our lives to him to allow him, the creator of all that is, who understands us better than we understand ourselves, who understands the nature of the piece of clay that he's holding in his hand. Because you see, he, he knows whether or not The clay that he's holding can be a vessel that pours into the lives of others. He knows whether or not the piece of clay that he's holding into his hand can be a vessel that holds that which is being poured in from the life of another. And if you can't be one of those, he knows that maybe you can be one of these. That he's called you to be a plate that serves the bread of life to others. You see, every piece of clay can't be a vase. Every piece of clay can't be a chalice. Some of us are just destined to be plates because that's God's call on our lives. And this is the dilemma that Judah finds herself in when the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and instructs him to visit the potter's wheel. It's out of this Simple, everyday encounter of a potter in Jerusalem sitting in his wheel, treading and kneading and shaping the lumps of clay into useful pieces of pottery that this picture of the love and the grace of God comes to us. And he uses 
He uses this picture, this analogy of, of a potter shaping the lumps of clay to compare his relationship to us. Let me give you a little bit of background. The people of Judah had bought into and experienced a revival of sin and idolatry. One that was so bad that it rivaled the northern kingdom of Israel under the rule of Jezebel and Ahab. And the temple of Jerusalem was now polluted with pagan altars. There were open practices of the occult taking place in the temple of Jerusalem. The good news is that in the midst of this open and defiant, rebellious way of life, God raises up this young prophet to speak out against the practices of Judah. And we've already talked about his call. This was a nation who had turned their back on God, and he raises up a young 20-year-old to say, hey, if you don't change your ways, God's going to use your very enemy to come in and overtake you and take you into exile and judge you. And so Jeremiah cried out, and this is what he said. He said, my people have committed two sins as God's spokesman. He says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Wasn't it Jesus who said, whoever drinks from me, out of his spirit will flow rivers of life, and you'll never be thirsty again? And then the second sin that they'd committed was this. He says, they've created their own cisterns, broken cisterns, and they cannot hold water. And you'll find that in the second chapter, the 13th verse. But it was Jesus who said, when I came to my people... They'd chosen other cisterns too. He says, I came to my own and they didn't even know me. Instead, I was the son of light and they chose darkness over me. Then we're told that Manasseh, the king of Judah, experienced a personal revival where the Bible says that he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And Manasseh knew that the Lord alone was God and He repented and returned and was cleansed. And one of the first things that he did in the temple was was to throw down all of the sinners of idolatry. And he ordered for Judah to worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But guess what? Nobody listened. It was too late for this generation. The people responded, but not the way Manasseh wanted them to. The people had chosen and created their own style and flavor of religion, their own cisterns that in the end would hold no water. And this was their own conclusion. They concluded that they were hopeless to change, and this is what they said, it's no use. We've gone too far and stubbornly continued to follow the plans of their deceitful hearts. They bought into a lie and chose a life of exile apart from the promise And the blessing and the healing that God brings to all who are flawed and scratched and did it. Aren't you glad that he saw redemptive value in the scratched and dented shelf? But here's the thing about God and the thing that we learned at the potter's wheel. God doesn't allow anything to be wasted. If they repented and returned, he'd forgive and restore them. And he would take their scratches and dents and they would become a part of the redemptive story. 
This is where the lesson of the clay being formed and shaped by the masterful hands of the potter and the will of life becomes so important to our story. God wastes nothing. Every scratch, every dent of our lives tells the story of our rebellious nature. I'm so grateful now because I'm on the other side of the cross for the mistakes that I'd made in life and experienced healing and restoration from because it allows me to relate to other people who are going through the same things as me. And God has called every one of us, I believe, in this room to be a wounded healer. I think that's part of our call. I don't think God expects you to be me. He doesn't expect you to be a Ray Vanderwill. He expects you to be you. To live your life and to take your story, to take your scratches and to take your dents and use them to impact the people that are a part of your life. You know, God doesn't throw us away when we break. When Alan was molding that clay up front and he went through the bottom because it got too thin. You see, every one of us have our own nature. And every one of us have turned to our, to our own ways. And the masterful hands of the potter knows this when he's shaping and he's molding and he's, and he's kneading all of this. And when we break in the process of life, always remember this. That when we break apart on the turning wheel of life, all of our flaws come undone. But they come undone in the masterful hands of the potter who knows us and our situations better than we know ourselves. And he just takes us and he just begins to re-need us because we've broken And he remolds us and he shapes us into a vessel that he's really called us to be. And I can tell you with that comes rest and peace beyond all natural understanding. To know that you're not only in the will of God, but you are doing exactly what God has put you here for. He wastes nothing. And despite our acts of defiance and rebellion, God's call is irrevocable. Irrevocable. Help me. Irrevocable. Thank you. That must be something that comes with being almost 62. I don't know what that is. You know, gravity just has an effect on everything. But his choice is to use you to become the servant that you are. He's using everything in your life to, to mold you. And that call that you've heard him whispering in your ear for years is irrevocable. God wants to use you. God doesn't make mistakes. He's God. And it's His call that sustains us. And the brokenness that comes from all of life's scratches and dents, He doesn't let go to waste. Instead, He uses our brokenness to mold us into the person that God, the Creator of all, has chosen us to be. So I have a question for you. Who knows you better than the one who created you? You know, in the end, whether it's the end of the project that you're serving on, whether it's the end of the cross-training quarter that you volunteered to teach for, whether it's the end of a vocation and a change in your career and you're going different places, in the end, when you're able to look back, when you come to that place in life, when you're actually able to look back... I hope that the choices that we've made will let us say with confidence that it's been the call of God that has shaped my life and brought me to this point. 
My prayer for all of us here this morning, and you've heard me say this about myself, but my prayer is for all of us, that outside of our relationship with Jesus, I hope our lives don't make any sense. Did you get that? I pray that you could look back at your life and understand your relationship with Christ, that apart from that, without your relationship with him, your life would make no sense. You see, he's either the center of our life or, or he's not. You know, when you operate with an understanding that God is really in control, that help is on the way, <laughs> and that God doesn't make mistakes, how can you possibly stand in the way of not giving your life away to live your life to fulfill the call that God has placed on every one of us in this worship center today. You know what I love about this story? You know what I love about that book that you're holding in your hand or looking at your iPhone at? It's a compilation of 66 books that paints the most beautiful picture for us. Because it shows us in its stories that God always makes his chosen, his choicest and chosen pieces from flawed and broken material. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that includes me. Inside my office is an old guitar. And I've had some really nice guitars down through the years. Some guitars worth like $4,000, $3,500, $4,000. That's a lot of money for me. And I used to have quite a collection of guitars, and I used to train some worship leaders. And uh, several years ago, about 20 years ago, I bought an, a guitar for about $650. It was, it was a well-made guitar, but uh, well-constructed. But it didn't have all the bells and whistles. It wasn't really fancy. And I played on that guitar for a lot of years, and I gave it to worship leaders as they were coming up and trained kids on it. And it used to sit in my office in some of the churches that I'd planted, and it had been knocked over. The neck had been broke. The top had been broke. The whole, uh, it's, it's split all the way down the center. My granddaughters used to sit on my lap, and, and uh, they were teething on the back of the neck of the guitar, and there were actually tooth marks in the neck of that thing. And so here, several years ago, I, I sold that guitar and I, I bought these more expensive guitars. Nice tailors. I mean, nice. And then things began to change in my life. And the way that I was serving was a little bit different. And so I realized that having all those guitars sitting around and having to keep humidifiers in them so they wouldn't crack and take care of them was just, it was a waste. They needed to be played. So I gave some of them away and I gave those who purchased them really good deals. And I went back and I found that old guitar that I'd sold. And I bought it back from an old worship leader that used to work for me. Because it had the teeth marks of my granddaughters. It had the scratches and dents of 20 years of ministry. And now that's the only guitar that I have. It's a well-made guitar, but the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Some of you may think of yourself as a little more expensive than those seated next to you. I don't want to get into an argument with you about that. But what I want you to know is that God takes into account everything that you've been through. He's aware of your scratches and your dents and your flaws. And are you ready for the good news of the gospel? Despite that, he chooses to love you. Wow. Despite that, he chooses to use you. So I don't know what you're facing this morning. We get to celebrate the sacrament of communion with one another. And I always love this part of our service because this is a place where we have tangible symbols that are in front of us that speak to us about the body and the blood of the one who gave his very best for us. This morning, I'd like to just invite you uh, to bow your heads in a time of reflection and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any unconfessed sin and any of your scratches and your dents that you want to lay before the cross. Let's come before him. Lord, this morning we give you praise for your faithfulness. Father, for all of your goodness. And Lord, we're so glad our hearts are overjoyed that you didn't see us as unwanted. You didn't see us as undervalued. You looked at our scratches and our dents and you applied the healing waters from the hands of the potter and washed all of our sins away. And for that we gather as your church to give you praise. And we say so in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I'd like to invite our elders to come forward. On that final night that Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, they had gathered together for dinner. And after dinner, he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it unto them saying, this is my body given for you. This morning when we take this bread, we eat the body and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And after it filled it, he blessed it. And he gave it unto them, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant that is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from it, all of you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Gracious and most righteous one,
Lord, we humbly come before you this morning and offer, Lord, gratitude for the cleansing of our sins through the blood of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as a congregation, we just want to say thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for loving us despite our scratches and dents and flaws. Thank you for using us as one of your instruments of righteousness. Lord, as a congregation, we come before you to lift up the needs of this body. Those who are experiencing difficulty in relationships. Nobody stays married a long time and doesn't face issues. Those who are facing unemployment. Lord, we live in a world where the average person changes careers four to seven times depending on their age. A number of us are facing issues that come with age. Things just don't work the way that they used to. Some of us have lost loved ones and significant others. People extremely close to us. and So Lord, we lift up the heartache and the pain. We lift up these scratches and dents that we experience in life because of sin. We leave them before you. And we ask that you apply the healing waters from the hands of the potter to remake, to reshape, and to make us into what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.